Welcome to Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store Covent Garden in London. Would you please welcome our guest moderator, Danny Lee. Thank you. Um, welcome to the Apple Store. Now this Friday, a superb new documentary comes out called Amy. It's the story of the incredibly gifted, but very troubled and ultimately very tragic singer, Amy Winehouse. We're gonna be joined in a couple of seconds by its director, Azeev Kapadra, and a couple of the producers as well. But first of all, let's have a quick look at the trailer from Amy. I think it's a film that you're gonna uh, get an awful lot from. Singing has always been important to me, but I never thought oh, I'll end up singing, I'll be a singer. I just thought I'm lucky that it's something I can always do if I want to, I'm so lucky like that. I felt like I had nothing new that was coming out at the time that really represented me or the way I felt. So I, you know, I just started writing. I wouldn't write anything unless it was directly personal to me, just because I wouldn't be able to tell the story right. I'm not a girl trying to be a star or trying to be anything other than a musician. How big do you think you're going to be? I don't. I don't think I'm going to be at all famous. I don't think I could handle it. I would probably go mad, do you know what I mean? I would go mad. Is it hard to know whether you can trust? Yeah. Please join me in welcoming to the stage the director of Amy, Azif Kapadia, and its producers, Chris King and James Gay-Reese. How are we all doing? Good. 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 Excellent. Now, I'm going to start with a question for all three of you. Um, so answer this in whatever order you choose to. Were you fans of Amy Winehouse? Is that where the story started? Or did the story begin as filmmakers stumbling upon what is an astonishing story more than anything else? We weren't, we, well, I wasn't an active fan. I was uh, obviously aware of her music and everything else. But no, we were approached to make the film by her record company, Universal Records, because they'd been big supporters of a film we made called Senna. So they basically, uh, they'd seen that. And I was, I was actually editing a romantic comedy in Soho a couple of years ago, three years ago. And I got a text from the guy who's the chairman of Universal Music saying, would you be interested in making a documentary about Amy Winehouse in the vein of Senna, uh, you know, all archive approach. So I called Asif and immediately and said, you know, what do you think? <laughs> he said, yeah, yeah, sounds interesting. You know, it's a London film tip. We need to know more about that story and then yeah, so let's keep on talking about it. Then I called Chris, and Chris's reaction was, who's the editor, by the way, he's not a producer. Director, editor, producer. Oh, sorry. And he said, uh, yeah, but only if we can tell the real story. Do you think we'll be able to kind of like get to the heart of the issue, or will, we, will it be a controlled product, basically? So then we met with the record label and said, you know, do you really want to get to the bottom of this story, or do you want it to be a fluff piece? And they assured us that they wanted it to be a, um, the real deal, which... Uh, and actually, to be fair to them, they have maintained that position all the way through in the face of quite extreme adversity. Aziz, I mean, James just mentioned Amy's role as a London story. I mean, how important was that to you? That, that was a big selling point for me because I knew her music. I'd never seen her live. I'd never met her. But, um, but I lived down the road. I always lived... For 10 years or so, I was right down the road from Camden. I used to walk through there every day. And so there was something about the idea when James called me, which was... As much of it's a film about her, it felt like a film about us and the city and our relationship with her. There's some instinctive feeling there about this, because I haven't made many films here at home. So I feel like this is a subject I've been waiting for, really. And it, kind of, it, and it became that. It became like a, kind of her as a, 
cultural reference point to very recent times and our part to it, I suppose. Um, so that, that was one of the big things for me. And then how do you start piecing that story together? I want to bring you in here as well, Chris, because I mean, I suppose visually and also as a story, because you're going into this film, I guess, with you've got the, you've got the, the, the songs and an awful lot of tabloid coverage, but probably not much else to, to go on at the start. So how do you begin putting Amy together? <laughs> Well, these guys start before I do, quite a long time before I do, six months before I get anywhere near it. These two begin, basically, uh, with the help of Paul Bell, our brilliant archive producer, pulling in whatever Amy stuff was out there. All the normal stuff that you find in the broadcasters, uh, Universal were very good, they provided some material as well. But I mean, the main thing is, none of us really knew anything about her. So we start with a very simple question, which is, who is this girl? What's, what's the story here? And, and then it's a bit like opening a cold case, I suppose, in a way. You just begin, let's find somebody who's near to her and ask questions and, and hope that there'll be a domino effect. And I think it, there was eventually, but it was a very, very, very slow motion domino Well, effect. I think when people see the film, I mean, it is an incredible detective story in that sense. But how does that detective story begin? I mean, because the first thing you're going to have to do is persuade people to talk. And because of the nature of, of Amy Winehouse's story, because of the tragedy involved, I can't imagine it's the kind of thing where people are necessarily going to be that willing to talk. I mean, that was a big difficulty on this film, was um, getting people to open up. Most of the people around Amy were in quite a lot of pain, never spoken publicly, were angry, there was a lot of guilt, there was a lot going on, there was a hell of a lot going on. Many of them felt it was too soon um, to make the film, because James initially, I think, maybe got the call only about a year after Amy had died. And I had an instinct, maybe it's too soon. The first person who opened up to us really was um, Amy's first manager, who really most people have never heard of. And he, he was very wary about talking, but he was a big fan of Senna, and I think that helped he met with us, we got along, he liked the fact that we'd already done a lot of research and to be honest, once he started speaking he couldn't stop and that was really the case of all of them. Once they started letting this stuff that they'd been carrying on their shoulders out, they needed to talk. It was like therapy for him and he opened the door to um, Amy's two best friends and that was really the beginning of the kind of, not only just the story, unravelling the story, but each of them had lots of personal footage which formed the real backbone of the opening of the film. So Chris, this is, this is where you come in then, because once that footage starts coming in and you've got, I suppose one of the things which I think is very interesting about Amy is that maybe 10, 15 years ago, this would have had to be a biopic because the footage wouldn't have existed. So much of the footage is camera phone footage and it's people just shooting here, there and everywhere. But it's your job then to, I guess, as you did the Senate, to wade through that stuff and to kind of construct something from it. Yeah, I mean, people tend to assume that, you, you, you know, you have this enormous pile of material and then you kind of look at it and begin to just suddenly turn that into a film. Actually, because we, we're finding our own feet, really, in terms of discovering the story and finding out via interviews, which are taking place one a week, two a week, over m several months. I mean, for instance, the guys that, that the really close friends of, of Amy's who came through, that was a year into the process before we even got to those people. And they had material which is absolutely fundamental to the film that you will now see. So it is a, it's a very weird filmmaking process. We just arbitrarily begin somewhere uh, and start cutting scenes. And in this instance, because a lot of the material is very intimate, Nick Shaman Shamansky's stuff, her, her first manager, you know, he wasn't a professional 
camera person. He was a guy, a young 19-year-old with a little camcorder, a little DV camcorder, literally holding it like that, filming him and her as they wandered around. Yeah, while driving. While driving, <laughs> filming her in the rearview mirror, laughing around in tiny little student union bars. But about half this crowd would be what she would have expected at that stage of her career, very, very early in her career. But what we loved about it was that it was, it was charming and very innocent, and she was just enormous fun and really foul-mouthed and funny and smiled a lot. And it just was the absolute antithesis of all the stuff that everybody had perceived Amy Winehouse to be, the tragic, broken, you know, addict, ravaged by addictions woman that everyone had, was familiar with. So we knew that we're going to have to use, this is gold, but how do you use stuff which is completely out of focus and all that. So a lot of our early experimentation was about how to cut that material, how to turn that into scenes that feel like something that you can tolerate and that are part of a normal narrative film. And then, I mean, I'll speak for Aston because he hasn't really got very much voice. Yeah, his voice he had this, is going a little bit. His other great call was about her lyrics. And so that was the, other, the next big thing that we started experimenting with, which was having read her lyrics and seen just how autobiographical they were, uh, we wanted to integrate them. Asif felt that that should be part of the structure of the film rather than we just, you know, stop, play a nice song and then tell a bit more of the story. So that was the next part of our experimentation. How are we going to integrate these songs and her words so that, uh, you know, it was almost, I mean, you, you said to me, think Bollywood. Yeah, it's like the songs are the narrative. They, they became the spine. That was a big thing. Um, and so we tried to unravel the songs and then the things that people were telling us would suddenly sync up with a lyric. And there's a, literally a moment when I'm talking to someone and I'm hearing the story and I'm going, hold on, you're the person who took Amy to rehab. Literally, that song is a real incident and that happened time and time again. You realise who Tears Dries about, you realise who these songs are all about. So all these songs that we know and we love, every single one of them is actually based on a true moment, a true incident, or real person, and that was a big light bulb in a way. And did you realise that, that after a certain point you're making, almost accidentally, a celebration of her music? Because you're not setting out to do a portrait of the artist, but the music takes on this life of its own, well, and her lyrics I, take I think on the music life of sounds great, but it's actually, you hang out with her, you really like her. So it's not necessarily celebrating her, it's actually just taking her down off the pedestal and just saying, you'd like to hang out with her. She's funny, she's really sharp, she's clever. You'd, you wanted to meet her. We all kind of, even the people, there are a few young people in the office who made a point of saying, not really an Amy Winehouse, I don't really like her, I'm not really sure about her, I don't like her music. No. Everyone, one by one, oh God, she's amazing. You know, everyone fell in love with her, the character. And then you love the music, because you start hearing her pick up a guitar, singing live. Because we don't really have the records. No. We have live performances of songs that you may know really well. And then you hear her just faffing around with her mates, doing her makeup in the toilet, gets on stage, picks up a guitar, wow. And it was a lot of moments like that, and that's kind of what draws everyone in, I guess. I mean, a question for all three of you. Uh, I'm interested in how, is how emotionally tough it was to make Amy, because obviously putting the film together practically is a challenge, but also it is. I mean, for all the moments of celebration and all the moments of, of getting to know Amy again and liking her, it's also, it gets very, very tough emotionally. I mean, I don't think we can pretend otherwise. So as the filmmakers, how tough was it for you? It was. I mean, I would say that... Um you know, because we weren't that, of, that aware of the story in any great detail, above and beyond the kind of headlines. Um, when, when we started it, and you know, the way we go into these things anyway is with a complete blank piece of paper. And therefore the, the research is pretty exhaustive. We try to speak to as many people as we can, watch as much footage as we can, 
But when we started talking to the friends about the journey and what had actually happened, you know, I think it was much darker, if I'm honest, than we'd ever imagined. And I think it was much sadder than we'd ever imagined. And, you know, it was a much more complicated story than we'd had previously realised. And, you know, the problem with this movie was that a lot of the different people we were speaking to had very conflicting points of view about what happened. And there was a lot of finger pointing, there was a lot of, you know, mudslinging, lots of, you know, um, guilt. And so we were trying to marry all these different kind of recollections of what had happened. But, you know, I mean, there were certainly times, I remember there was one time when Asif and, I, Asif and I were in New York interviewing a lot of people, like her first producer, Commissioner Gordon, who did um, a lot of Frank, and a bunch of people. And the stuff we were hearing was just actually made me sort of think, what are we doing here? Because we hadn't really worked out what the movie was at that point in time. And it was slightly overwhelming at that moment in time, just how sad this story was. And, you know, when you're basically, movies are hard enough to try and make work in any shape or form anyway. But when suddenly you find yourself in the middle of this really dark story. People and we kept telling us the film would never get made. Yeah, people kept saying, you know, <coughs> this is never we were in this shown. very strange d dynamic whereby we, all the people that really mattered to the story were saying, we're not going to be involved, but you've got to make sure you make the right movie, you've got to make sure the truth comes out. We were like, well, how can we tell the truth if you don't participate? They're like, well, it's not my problem. You've got to somehow find a magic solution to it. And obviously, thankfully, Asif did ultimately get them all over the line and they did participate because they felt that if they didn't contribute to the story, it wouldn't be the right version of it. And so it was a very strange dynamic to be in because with Senna, everybody wanted to be involved. It was just great. I mean, there was a lot of ground to cover. But here, nobody wanted to talk to us at all because it had been such a messed up story. So it was a very strange world. And, and I think it's fair to say that all of us, when you live with, you know, certainly when we were moving more or less chronologically through the, her years, there's a point where, without realising it, you, you started to have, the gloom descended, I'd say, and, it, and it's very difficult to kind of switch off. I can't say that we ever became inured to the power and, and uh, of some of the material that we were dealing with. I mean, you know, we're professionals, so we, to an extent we can switch off, but over months and months and months, it certainly, it leaves you, there's a cloud, in, 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 I think, hanging over all yeah, of us. Yeah, because partly the thing is when you get to know her, you fall in love with her, and that's what exactly. makes, makes what happened even you know, more tragic than you'd imagine. So because, mm. you know, it's not, you're not removed from it anymore. And when you're putting that narrative together for the first time and almost discovering this story for yourselves, I mean, was there a moment a single turning point where you think, okay, maybe if that hadn't happened, things could have gone in a different path. Because obviously in a fictional film, there would have been there would have been the plot twist, the plot moment where suddenly she goes off on this course and if that hadn't happened, things would have been okay. I mean, with Amy Winehouse, was there that moment or was it a lot more complex than that? Overall, I think it's far more complex. There may be a couple of points when people see the film where you think, ah, oh, there's a big turning point there. I kind of mentioned it earlier. I guess it's rehab is one of them. Um, you know, when you understand really what that song's about and everything that builds up to it and everything that comes after it, that's probably the moment, I guess. I mean, that's, you know, every, and the, the interesting thing about the film is because pretty much everyone knows the songs. You know the songs, but the film kind of unravels what they're really about and the lyrics and her writing is one of the things. Everyone talks about Amy's voice. Her writing is incredible. And that was a, one of our major revelations was to kind of put that up front. So people pay attention to what she's writing and you know, how she gets references in there, how, how clever it is. It's just beautifully put together. But then you understand the content is all based on truth and a real incident. And again, that's something that was never discussed at the time. I mean, Amy Winehouse, at the time, my memory is that she was uh, 
when her, her problems weren't overshadowing her talent, you know, she was talked about as a great singer, but the lyrics were never talked about. The lyrics were almost, you know, an afterthought. And actually, the film really brings those to the fore. Yeah, because not only were they more or less a straight diary recollection of things that had been the most important things that had been happening in the preceding year for her, but she had a turn of phrase and she could write couplets that were as good as Shakespeare, in my opinion, some of them. I mean, a very modern, foul-mouthed Shakespeare. <laughs> the Camden, best, the Camden, best Camden, Shakespeare, Camden Shakespeare, yeah, rather than... Uh, um, so, yeah, I mean, it was a revelation to all of us, and I think we've, we, we did try very diligently to work that all the way through, and then, of course, it becomes... That's another aspect that becomes quite sad, because there comes a point where she can't write herself out of trouble anymore. I mean, there was a level at which she used writing as a therapy, as a way of keeping the kind of bad thoughts that she had in her head and the poor, uh, the slightly depressive personality that she had, that was all kept at bay if she could write. And as long as she was doing that or could play guitar, just do a bit of music, everything was okay, her life was in balance. But then there came a point where her addictions and her problems and the pressures of fame and celebrity became so much that she stopped writing. And there's literally, there was a, a dot, dot, dot. And then there's a little burst again later on where she was trying to claw her way back. It's sort of nascent lyrics were coming there. But I think that all becomes part of the story as well. I mean, the, her failure to write is as sad as some of the other problems that were besetting her. I mean, at one end of the process, you've all talked about that, that kind of navigating the stormy waters of her friends and her family and those kind of connections and getting this footage and getting these interviews down. At the other end of the process, once the film was made, presumably then you had to go and show your work to those people, which must have been a fairly, I expect, nerve-wracking process. For different reasons, I suppose. I mean, you know, it's, um, it was, it was um, nerve-wracking showing the movie to her really close circle of inner friends because you just really wanted them to like it because they, you know, they had finally put their trust in us. And, you know, thankfully, they did all respond really well to it. Um, the family have had mixed emotions to it uh, for various reasons. But I have to say, we even showed it to Blake about two weeks ago, and he really responded brilliantly to it, actually, and took a very sort of grown-up view of it all, actually. He was like, you know, it's a very honest movie, and, you know, I mean, he comes out of the movie sort of good and bad, and he was like, that's the way it should be. You know, the relationship was very real, and we represent that in the movie. But obviously, they had a very destructive relationship. He's like, you know, you have to tell the truth about how this panned out. And there's no point sugarcoating it. It was a very complicated story. So I think we've got the balance right in the main. But yeah, I mean, listen, showing any film to any audience to begin with is an absolutely terrifying experience. But this especially, because there's so much expectation and responsibility to her and to her friends, you know. They're all in it. I mean, you're showing it to the people who are in the film about somebody who's died. So it's heavy. It's a pretty heavy... It's always much more tricky than any kind of fiction film where people are pretending. Have you stayed there in the cinema when people have been watching? Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, every time you make any kind of documentary, if, if the person's living or, you know, they, they, you invite them in and they watch a cut way before anyone else and you listen to whether or not you've maybe got some things right or wrong or, you know, you have to listen to them. <clears throat> They're contributor screenings, but they were much more extraordinary in this instance because of the level of grief and expectation and, and self-recrimination in a lot of instances. I mean, I think the biggest reaction was, how do, how do we let this happen? I mean, was there a lesson that you learned while you were making this film about, about Amy and also, I guess, about... Because, you know, when I watch the film, you can't help but reflect on your own life, you know? I mean, that's, I think that happens to a lot of us. Presumably that happened to you as well. 
Well, I've got two daughters, so I'm a much better parent now than I was before I made the movie. It's kind of a recurring theme, that, actually. A number of people have been to screenings said, I came out and just wanted to go home, and someone said, hug my dad, and someone else said, hug my kids, and someone else just like... Because it, it, at its heart, it's kind of a film about love, all these kind of different types of relationships, family, friends, boyfriend, husband, all of this, kind of broken hearts. It's, there's all these very, very simple emotions in there. When I, when I showed an early cut to some friends... Um, just on a laptop, it may have been an apple. Uh, they, sorry, they, uh, they cried. They cried. I mean, it was totally out of kilter. They cried at the beginning, and I kept asking them why, and they said because we've never seen her happy before. It was like the simplest things that people had not seen. Just her being happy. They remembered that latter period so much they'd forgotten, or never noticed, or were never shown the beginning, and it, that was part of it. It was the simple things about her character that somewhere had got lost in all the tabloid perception that we all have. And this is kind of global. We know of Amy here in the UK and London much more because she was around town than people do internationally. All they know is the last few years. They have really low opinion of her, generally. Sure. So they've got, it's been a really interesting journey revealing the, kind of the real girl, the real Amy, which is what her friends used to talk about a lot. Let's take a, another look at a, a clip from uh, Amy, and then I want to open it up and, and questions from the floor if possible. So, Get a question ready, by all means. Um, when you have your question, please raise your hand and we will find you with a microphone. But first, let's have another look at a clip from Amy. I look like a flowing head, you know, I've got no hair. I'm just on a black screen. <laughs> There's my hand. What's going on? We'd recorded quite a few demo recordings and I started to talk about whether she'd ever consider writing. She said she's not sure about writing songs, but she's written a lot of poems. She knew full well she'd been writing songs, but they were very personal songs. Perfect. So, if there are any questions now for, for Azifa or Chris or James, please do raise your hand. Or otherwise, I'll hog some more questions. Yes. Uh, okay. And if you can just wait until the microphone's in your hand. Hey. Um, I just wanted to ask you, you've talked a little bit about um, the story of Owen Winehouse, the darkness, the kind of addiction, and you've talked a lot about the genius of her work. In your opinion, does this film act as a restorative to a kind of music legend, or does it kind of finally cement... Amy Winehouse as a story to people? It's a bit of everything. For me, for me, I was kind of interested in the kind of the girl, the human being. But via that, you, you, you learn so much about her music. And I'm generally, the consensus has been if you're a fan, you love her more. And if you didn't like her music, it's really converting a lot of people. Because the rawness of it, there's something about her just picking up a guitar, standing up and singing. And, you know, this stuff is not sh recorded professionally. It's people's handheld little mini DV cameras or, you know, small VHS tapes. And yet it sounds incredible. So you really get a sound, the, the kind of quality of her range and her voice and everything. So I think, I think the film kind of will definitely raise her up on, a, on another level for me. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, no, I think absolutely. I, I, you never set out to do one specific thing. And this is a much more complicated story than we had with Senna, for instance, who was already... A, a, a bona fide legend. Amy 
it was a much more complicated thing. I think by the end of it, we, we hope that everybody appreciates that people like her don't really come along that often. She was a genuine once in a generation kind of talent and a London, UK talent uh, of, of world class. And, you know, maybe the next time, if there is a next time, that somebody of that kind of vulnerability and talent comes along, you know, maybe we'll think twice about, you know, following clickbait to see them falling out the back of a taxi uh, and think about the person and their talent more. Excellent. Now there was a hand over here. Hi. Um, yeah, my, I obviously haven't seen uh, the film, uh, but I've just um, seen it being uh, talked about. And I, I saw the interview with Mitch, her father, and uh, he appeared quite upset by, um, by, by the film and uh, shared that, um, in his view, it, was, it, it left out a lot of the fun times that he'd shared with his daughter, just hanging out, playing music and that kind of thing. And I suppose my question is around where do you, how do you make the judgment behind just trying to be as real as possible um, versus you know, a, a sympathy and an understanding for those people who, who just might come out of this in a, in a bad light, even if it's deserved. It's one of the big challenges. I think that balance is really, really difficult um, and trying to find the right tone. Um, you're dealing with real people, you're dealing with real incidents and, you know, we kind of know how it turned out. I think what we've tried to do with the film is to be quite sensitive to that. We've but we've done so much research, we've spoken to so many people, and we've seen so much material. The film is trying to show a balance and the essence of everything that we've learned and everything that we've seen. Um, and then, yeah, within that, then you're just trying to do your best to be honest to the people. Um, and some of it's awkward, some of it's tricky for people to see, but um, you kind of have to judge what you see and what you hear and show that. And we can't show every moment, because in the end, it is a film. You know, you are, you are working with what material you have at hand. Yeah, and I'd um, like to add to that, you know, there isn't any footage of Mitch and Amy having a really nice jam together or he would have provided it to us. We asked him for everything he had and the only footage we've got of them together is not quite as fun as it should have been. So, you know, you're also dealing with the issue of you're trying to compress 10 years of somebody's life into two hours and you're trying to make sense of a very complicated story. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, you're trying to present to the audience all the possible contributing factors to, as to why a 27-year-old girl ultimately decides to drink herself to death. And there is no one single answer, and there's no one single person to blame. You're just trying to create as complex a picture of her as you possibly can, and all the people who were impacting on that story at the time. And uh, you, know, you try and achieve that balance, and you know, I'm sure they did have lots of great times together. I'm sure they had lots of arguments, like all parents do. But you know, the film is the result of a very exhaustive research period. And yes, we respect his opinion because he's not happy with parts of the movie. But then, you know, we have to basically take some comfort from the fact that everybody else who's seen the movie thinks it's a rep an accurate representation of what happened at the time. So, I suppose whatever was going on with the family, I mean, the other thing which doesn't emerge particularly well from the film is the music industry. And I did want to ask, I will go back to the floor in a second, but I wanted to ask quickly how much you thought what happened to Amy was due to the industry that she was working in. I mean, if Amy Winehouse had been a potter would the same things have happened to her was this you know was this a music business tragedy 
Well, I think it's a fame tragedy. I mean, she's, uh, I think pretty much everybody identified fairly, fairly early on that she was gonna struggle, including herself. I mean, there's two or three times in the movie when she says, I really shouldn't become a big star because I know I won't be able to handle it. And she foresaw what was gonna happen. So I think that, you know, not many people can handle that level of stardom. And I think that unfortunately we live in a world now where such a massive significance is attached to celebrity and fame. And it, so many people think it's something to aspire to. But I'm not sure that many people actually enjoy it in the long term. Some people clearly can handle it, but not many. And uh, she was probably the last person that should have ever gotten herself in that situation. But I think it's very hard once, if you, you know, if the machine decides that you're the one, it's very hard to step out of that entirely and say, it's not for me today. So I think it's a very, it's very conflicting energies at play there. We've got time for maybe one more question, so hand up very quickly. Hello. Um, I just wanted to, to know a little bit more about the technical uh, issues you had with the different formats you were filming on, old VHS clips, or you had the material, old camcorders, and, and I mean, how is, that, how is that possible in terms of when you think about the industry standards and all that? I mean, the aesthetics and the look. How did you come around that? How did you work around that? Well, with such different material, I mean. Yeah. Digital technology allows you to basically hoover all this stuff into a single project on the editing software we use. That bit's fairly straightforward, and then you can then cut. So that wasn't really that complicated, apart from we had to sort of reframe a lot of stuff. We had to adjust the speed of certain images and do, do quite a few things within there. The problems came later on, where, as you say, you're then taking something which is a little project running at 25 frames a second and turn that into a cinema film, an HD thing, which is running at 24 frames a second. And we, luckily, we've got amazing technical what people who, songs. Who, who can take that on. And um, the, the main guy, who's a conform editor, who takes what I've been doing, what we've been doing in the edit, and then up-reses that, turns that into a high-resolution version. Uh, he works on kind of quite big-budget Hollywood effects heavy movies and he said that without question this was the most complicated project he'd ever worked on and it was precisely because of what you're talking about we had stuff that was dv we had some camera phone footage in there everything was shot at different speeds in different parts of the world we had audio recordings which were recorded by journalists simply putting down an old style dictaphone on the table we used that so our audio department had to do a lot of clearing up there's an enormous amount so a lot of work on stills and stills as well, yeah, we have more stills in this. I don't think we have any stills in Senna, but there were many, many more stills that we wanted to use in this to Subtitles, tell the story. text, graphics, there's lots of layers as well. So it's the image and then all of the layers, and the manipulating each level. All I can say is that we just do that day by day. We were in the edit for nearly two years, and so as well as absorbing the story as it was unfolding, to us via the interviews, we were also wrangling, experimenting with the footage. What can we do to actually make this pleasant or at least watchable in a cinema? Because obviously, on a large 20-foot screen, a wobble like that can actually break an audience's neck as they try and follow the action. So we had to be very, we had to calm things down, put stabilization on there. But it was more about really finding the grammar, I think, a way that that felt like it was raw and authentic, but wouldn't alienate an audience. It was all about, even if it is a bit messy, 
even if it does sound a bit scratchy in certain interviews, it's the real her. It's, it's, and it's authentic, isn't it? Yeah. You're there at that moment. Yeah. And, and as the long audience as, will buy that. Exactly. And that was, uh, that was really our benchmark. So, you know, you, you won't notice all that technical stuff that I've described because you'll be thinking, I get her, hopefully. It's a similar wood. thing. We did that on Senna and it just worked. You're, you're, it's real. There's only one opportunity to capture that moment and the camera's there. So I think you quite quickly, it's, it's a bit shocking to begin with for people to start, but to be honest, the opening on a film, once she starts to sing, everyone goes, oh wow, I get it. Because you hear her voice and it doesn't matter how jumpy the shot is. And, and that kind of continues on. And I think that's, that's psychologically an interesting thing. I, I've become less and less interested by kind of visual and technical perfection because it doesn't emotionally move me. Whereas something real and textured does. And I think that's what happens. People buy it, they believe it, it's real, you're there. You're more amazed someone's there filming it or taking a picture of that moment than, oh, look, it's not very sharp, you know. So that's, that's kind of what we go with. And if you're consistent, then the audience buys into it. We will have to leave it there, unfortunately. Uh, but Amy is out on Friday. It's a remarkable film. Um, we're going to show you one more clip, I think, before we finish. But in the meantime, please join me in thanking James Gay, Reese, Chris King and Aziv Kapadia. I don't think I knew what depression was. I know I felt funny sometimes when I was different. I think it's a musician thing. That's why I write music. Yeah, I'm not like some messed up person, you know. There's a lot of people that suffer with depression that don't have an outlet, do you know what I mean? Can't pick up a guitar for an hour and feel better. <laughs>